Good morning, uh, precious saints. We greet you this morning in the name of Jesus. We are coming from Gate Ministries in Dundee. And it is our honored privilege to come to you and just to bring you a word of encouragement. And, uh, and also just to allow us to assess and to seriously think about even the things that, that uh, we quote in scripture the accuracy of our quotations at most times uh, cannot be faulted. But I wonder at times, positionally, where are we to those quotations? And so uh, we are going to be looking at uh, X 17 and with particular emphasis on uh, verse 28. But uh, we need to just uh, deal with a few things, and uh, my prayer is that you would be helped. I think it will help us even as we have looked in the past weeks at uh, Solomon's prayer and, uh, and then uh, uh, bringing those things that are relevant to how we relate to God. It is a collection of a whole lot of things. Right now, you might think... Uh, what else then do I need to do to get closer to God? Getting closer to God is doing all those things that we have spoken about. But if you're doing, doing them as a chore, they will get monotonous and you will get tired of it. Because if you're doing it as a duty, then uh, duty always has its limitation, has its point of uh, usefulness. But if we can learn to culture these things into our spirit man, it's like waking up in the morning. Um, don't know, do you greet the Lord? Some have mastered that reality of uh, waking up and being grateful to God for waking them up. And some of them, uh, some of us uh, wake up and are ready to run to work. And so it's the things that you culture. You do those things without thinking, without having to set an alarm for, oh, it's this time to do. You just wake up. It's like waking up and getting out of bed. You don't have to uh, set your, uh, your alarm clock for that. It just simply happens. And so it is also uh, the art of prayer, the art of communicating with God. It has to become a habit that you take responsibility for. As I said in the past year, where we used to pray when we were growing up, when we were having our meals, we would say, Lord, make me truly grateful for the meal that I'm about to receive. And I've come to realize that God can't make you grateful. It's either you are grateful or you're not grateful. And it's not going to force you to become grateful. But how do I become grateful? It is by uh, uh, exercising uh, gratefulness. It is uh, knowing when uh, you receive something to say thank you. It is uh, waking up uh, and uh, having a hot water shower to thank God for that water. Thank God for the electricity. Thank God for the very breath that you have in your body. And so they, those are just some of the things that when I'm talking about culturing those things into your system, that uh, there are some things that uh, you will become used to, get fond of doing, simply by exercising in those areas. It is uh, 
Sometimes we pray when we want things from God. But uh, prayer should become a part of my communicating with my father. Because uh, if God is not your father, then uh, he will always be an uncle. or <laughs> always be an intruder who needs to be exercised out of the family unit. But if God is a father, then uh, he becomes a central figure. He becomes key in my development in life, in my continuing. I tell you what, this morning I had a whole lot of conversation with my father and was a whole lot of complaining on my part in that I have not been uh, a good son in that uh, there are things that I am seeing that I haven't gotten my hand to, knowing full well that my father has given me all grace to do all things. And yet if I don't see those things being actualized in my life, I have to. So it was a whole lot of questioning this morning with God. How do I get from where I am to where I should be? Because I do realize that I have underscored in a whole lot of areas. But... Uh, that's me. That's my take. I'm not satisfied with where I am, not satisfied with God. I'm not satisfied with me, where I am, because I know there is that which I have not experienced yet, which I need to get to. I have to get to. I said to the Lord this morning, I am not going to go to the grave full of all the ideas that you have placed inside of me and they have not been utilized. And... Uh, and so, help me this morning that uh, you become the recipient of the things that I am going to share with you so that I can empty some of those things that God has placed inside of my heart, has placed in my life, not just in my heart, because what is in my heart uh, needs to uh, be renewed and so it can't be forgotten. But if it's uh, that which is in me, it cannot be uh, done away with because if it's of God it's in me it has to be used for it to live on in somebody else's life and so I believe that every word that God gives us it has a lasting or must have a lasting effect on those that would hear and so if we say Lord let uh, my ears hear what the spirit of God is saying this morning I am simply imploring the Spirit of God that he will take the words of my mouth and uh, help you to uh, help that in you it can find a place where it can resonate with your spirit, resonate with your thoughts, resonate with that which you believe in God for. And so I want to start, uh, uh, obviously we are speaking on uh, Paul's journeys, and uh, do not be afraid when you become uncomfortable in the things that you are doing and the things that you have become comfortable with, because once you become comfortable with something, it means it has um, come to its end of its usefulness. And so you need to upgrade in God. There's never a stagnation in God. And so Paul finds himself in Thessalonica. And uh, there's a whole lot of things that are going on there. 
And it becomes, as he says, when he came into every city that he came, he will go to the synagogue and begin to engage with the residents of that city. And of course, uh, there would uh, rise up people that uh, the religious folks who were, for the better part, they could not understand. They heard Paul in everything that he would speak about. They would give him a hearing. But when he spoke about the resurrection of the dead, they found that very, very difficult to take in. And so <clears throat> they... Uh, They would always then come and say, you know, some came to him and said, what can this babbler tell us? And uh, it become apparent that uh, the, the people of different cities, I don't know, you know, these guys, they had uh, time on their hands because it says, uh, I mean, you, you yeah, even in the time of David, they would sit at the gate and have discussions. You know, the cities were always uh, um, fenced in. And uh, thankfully, you know, it's unlike uh, today where we have fenced our own homes because once you were part of the community, you enjoyed the uh, protection of the community. Now it's been narrowed down that even your own home has got to be protected against your neighbors. It's crazy. But uh, that's how we, uh, humanity has degenerated. We have not been able to look after our neighbors. We have not been able to become, to remain our, our brother's keeper. We haven't been able to do that because if we're truly uh, my brother's keeper, our neighbors should become um, whom that we can converse with and not the fences that we have. We're supposed to be able to respect each other's properties. And so, it was uh, those that would want to invade that were being kept out. But uh, these guys, they had plenty of time in their hands. They would stay at a gate and have a discussion of uh, what's new, you know. I don't know. Time has gone so busy now that we don't even have time to be do that, to be able to do that. <clears throat> But I want to pick up our conversation further from verse 16 of uh, Acts 17. Paul, having come to Berea, um, verse 16 reads like this. It says, And while Paul, Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred up in him when he saw the city was wholly given to idolatry. Therefore he disputed with them in the, uh, in the synagogue of the Jews and with the devout persons and in a market daily with them that met with him. You know, <coughs> excuse me. One of the things that I think we have forgotten to do when we go into different places, I don't know how many of you have driven uh, through a certain town, you've lived in a certain town, 
you hear people say, well, I've come into your town, but I really know no, uh, nothing and nobody in that place. Paul had a sense of knowing where he belonged. He knew his habitation, and his habitation was in Christ Jesus. And I do believe that when he went into a city, he wanted to know what the people believed or their behavior would indicate to him where their faith was. Do they, do they live for God? Do they live a godly lifestyle? Or was it just a haphazard living? It wasn't organized. It wasn't structured that you knew that people were upright in their dealings with one another, how they conducted their affairs. It's what Paul went and he observed. And so he was in the streets and touched many lives or interacted with many lives. And he began to see that uh, the Berea was rife with idolatry. In other words, that there was a whole lot of things we will see as we go on. There was a whole lot of things that uh, they uh, believed in. They uh, saw, uh, they equated uh, uh, a God, that they believed in God, but uh, <clears throat> they equated that with uh, how financially successful they were. The more successful they were, they would believe that God has blessed him. But uh, they neglected their spirit man. And so this was a thing that uh, Paul began to, to uh, take in and he began to address very vigorously. And uh, verse 18, it says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? And others said, he seems to be a, a setter forth of strange gods. You know, he's bringing some strange doctrine. So they had no understanding what he was talking about. You know, when I first came to the apostolic, this is about maybe about 15 years ago, and uh, we came and uh, introduced to, to this church the apostolic way of looking at the things. In, in other words, we were, we, we were weaned off uh, just uh, preaching good messages, you know, uh, where we needed people to be excited and jump around, but when they leave here, their lives have not been changed. The apostolic says we need to go back into the true sense of God's word. In other words, you will see us using the word more so than our own thoughts because man's thoughts are guided by his daily interaction with the things that he does. And so whatever excited him in this week is going to bring that excitement into the church. It works for a while. But the unfortunate part is that the people are not growing because then they begin to follow you as a leader in a cultic way. And uh, the apostolic is, is saying, we need to take back uh, people. We need to take people back to God again, back to the Bible, back to the foundation of, of Scripture, back to the, um, the apostles' doctrine, back to the, the, 
the, the prophets who heard from God and they had to say what God said, even if it did not seem to align with what people wanted to say. That's why most of the, the prophets were stoned because they came to interfere with the way of life that the people were conducting. But uh, having had conviction from the Spirit of God that they need to bring this message, they didn't care much about the their own lives. They gave their lives simply because they believed that their life was worth less than the good of the kingdom of God being established upon the earth. And so this is a thing uh, today. We are crying out to each and every person that will hear us. Go back to scripture. Most of the time I heard people, even some that came to the church, they would call to this preacher here, they would call to that uh, pastor there. But uh, very rare would I hear them saying, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me through his word. In other words, our interaction with the word, if it is lacking, you will always be quoting a man. It's nice to quote philosophers. It is nice to quote world leaders. It's nice to quote your pastor or somebody else who has played an influential role in your development. But if you cannot not for yourself begin to forage out of God's word and find a scripture that resonates with you, not because you heard somebody else say, but it is a word that God downloaded into your spirit, man. For me, that makes a whale of a difference because then you begin to know that God speaks even to you. Some of us have been so taught that uh, we need to hear an audible voice of God, but most often God will speak into your spirit and it doesn't uh, not so, so much as speaking in a whisper, speaking in a thunder, it is as much as he will speak out of his word. When the sincerity of your heart is seeking God, God wants to speak to you. You are the son of the living God. He has vested himself in you. If you are so worthless, Jesus would not have died for you. He he would have separated you and say, well, you are not part of my... Um the human race that was created in the beginning of time of humanity. And so I don't know why people would want to say, well, I'm not part of those. It is you that is excluding yourself. God has not excluded you. You are part and parcel. Even the guys that were arguing with Paul, it was just simply their understanding that was stunted by their gathering at the gates and discussing different things because it was man's opinion but for me these guys were engaging simply because there was something they found was lacking in their own life and so they needed to hear somebody that is going to bring satisfaction from within their own lives and so it is at an time and a point of engagement that we will discover and uncover God. And so here are these guys here engaging. For me, uh, the Epicureans and the Stoics, uh, they were trying to criticize what Paul stood for. And you know what? Paul did not engage in their foolishness. 
Thank God. You know, this is where we lose it as a church, as Christians. When people come with the, their criticism, they, uh, they make us angry. And then we begin to say things that, you know, uh, diverts from what we are supposed to be. What is your core value? What is your place of habitation? Because your place of habitation will become... Uh, Obvious that five minutes into the conversation, we'll begin to know if you are living in the word or you are living in the fear of the circumstances around you. I need to move quickly. And so, uh, verse 20, uh, okay, okay, he, uh, verse uh, 18, they were criticizing uh, the, uh, Paul, trying to belittle uh, because. Uh, uh, um, the latter part of verse 18 it says uh, because he preaches to them about Jesus and is even talking about the resurrection didn't understand all that and verse 19 it says uh, it says and they took him you see they at first all oh, oh, some I don't know they were open to openly criticizing but in verse 19 somehow he arose a curiosity within some of them it says for they took him and brought him to Aeropagus they brought him to their space to their place where they could say now, come into our level and then we are going to show you the things that you are telling us about have got no value, no relevance in our situation right now. So they, uh, uh, so they say to him, so that we may know what is this new doctrine that you are speaking about. For you are bringing us strange things to our ears. We would know. Therefore, what are these things? We want to know more about these things. Yeah, they became curious. First, they were criticizing him. They <laughs> calling him a babbler. Calling him, uh, you know, he's bringing a new doctrine about the resurrection. What nonsense is this? But somehow, how he presented the gospel to them uh, invoked in them the curiosity to say, we want to hear more what you are talking about. What is the meaning of all these things? Verse 21. It says, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, that is Aeropagus, uh, uh, um, he says, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. That word, superstitious, I, I think most of us, uh, you know, I, I don't know, do you still hear much of uh, people being superstitious? I don't know. I don't really hear much of it now. But uh, there were days when uh, they say, you, if you believe in ghosts, you are superstitious. I don't know. Does any of you believe in ghosts? I don't. I've never seen one. No, do I think they exist? Because I know scripture says, once you die, it's finished for you. And uh, I, in fact, I had to counsel a family 
because uh, in their home somebody had died and then there was things that were happening in their home. And so they were superstitious. I had to disarm that uh, falsity because it is a lie. There's no person that comes back to fiddle around the house when they, they have died. Once they are dead, they are dead. They become, once you die, you become illegitimate on the earth. You can dream about them because you've been uh, thinking about them. That's when you will dream about it. And if you are guilty at the time of their passing that you've done some wrong things, you will see their shadow, you will see their uh, presence, or you think it's them uh, fiddling around the house. I tell you what, that is just a lie. It is a hoax. Believe me, it's a hoax, it's a lie. It just comes from fear. And so I had to counsel with them and say, listen, that person has lost their legitimate right to be upon the earth. So because of your fear, the enemy has come and usurped his, uh, his uh, similitude and uh, make you think that it is him. I said, you need to just speak the word. Your time is up, sir. Get out of my house. Finish. It's nothing about do you love the person. Yes, you love the person, but not a uh, demonic spirit that comes masquerading as your loved one that has passed on. Now you think, oh, okay, uh, maybe you can come and lie next to me. I'm telling you, you're opening yourself up to demonic activity. You don't allow things like that. Once a person is dead, they are dead. Their usefulness on the earth is finished. They can't give you dreams for a jackpot. Jackpot? There's no more races now, is it? Oh, lotto now has become the thing in South Africa. So, <laughs> I, I really don't believe in that. I really don't. So, do not believe ghosts. They don't exist. Okay, let's come back to the word. And then Paul, he says, I see that you guys are superstitious. But the superstition, it, it means that uh, they believe in the God, uh, <laughs> uh, in the demonic God that will bring bad luck to them. And so they, uh, in their mentality, they then made room. Let's read maybe the next verse, then you'll understand better. It says, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, in other words, they were devoted to prayer, they were devoted in uh, 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 cleaning their shrines and all those things. He says, for I found an altar with this inscription saying to the unknown God. In other words, because of the fear of the demonic God, they had this phobia that they feared God that he will uh, release the demons to come and uh, um, disturb their peace. And so they had to do everything. If they wanted to leave nothing to chance. And so having had all the gods assembled together, they thought just in case there is a God that we don't know by name. And so they had a place that they said to this unknown God. But in the wisdom of God, 
It was an opening for Paul to present Jesus to them. He says uh, uh, to them, this unknown God, this unknown God, the God that chose not to reveal himself, it is him now that I am coming to tell you about. I tell you, if, for me, when I read it again, it sounded like poetry, verse 24. For that made the world, for, well, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Him, the God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands. Neither is he worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and everything else. And has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the, on the face of the earth. And has determined the times before appointed and the boundaries of their habitation. That they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Did you hear that? You don't have to go back to this God who's going to lead you to that God. Paul is saying, now I am here to unveil him that you have ignorantly been worshiping. Just, and also you've mixed it with your superstition that he might just, if he's angry with you, allow the demonic God to come and harass you. He's saying to them, this God doesn't need anything from you. Because he created all things. He owns all things. He has made of all the nations of the earth of one blood. Hey, man. you can cut me here, baby. You can cut yours, doesn't matter what nation you come from. It will be the same blood that flows out. Man. And then, having said all that, we come to verse 28. For me, this is, 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 is that which I am grappling with because I want to put this reality into my life. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. You are the offspring of God. You might be born, uh, you think, in your family, it was your father, it was your mother, but all your origins is found in God, is found in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The one who breathes life into you, it is God himself, the creator of heaven and earth. 
There is nothing that you can do outside of him that is worth of any note. That will carry you into your tomorrow and bring your life into a proper conclusion. I want to read and just... But when next time you say that, for in him I live... Remember that the word love, it is zawe, Z-A-O. It is that which, the word that allows you to be warm. It is a, a word that keeps you, that makes you understand that you are alive. It is living. It is the center of existence in God. It's unlike Zoe. Zoe, Z-O-E, means that you have a life that continues to give life. That is a life in Christ Jesus. Therefore, your life, if it is tied up in Jesus Christ, it will always produce life in others spiritually I'm talking about. Your spirit man must continue to bear fruit in Christ. But you cannot make yourself bear fruit outside of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is Lord of your life, reproduction is automatic. Because the light of God, even the words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart is ordained by the Spirit of God. And therefore production and reproduction automatically happens. You can't pray about this here outside of understanding God's word. It is something that which you culture inside of him. So when we say, I live and move and have my being, it must be in God. It must be because you are doing exactly that. It is, it's not a word that we need to go and, and quote and recite. It must be a state of our existence. Not by how many times I say I live and move and have my being. It is, are you living in that? Do you know your jurisdiction in the spirit? Do you know the things that uh, you uh, have the potential to bring to life or to condemn in the name of Jesus because you carry the authority of God? Because the word says every attack that is uh, directed to you or the words that are directed to you to discredit you because they cannot behold the presence of God in your life, you have the responsibility to denounce those words, to uh, bring down every divisive spirit. It is the right of a believer. But if I have issues in my own life, Even if I say I live and move and have my being, there is that nagging doubt. Am I truthful in what I'm saying, in what I'm doing? Let's come alive to the word of God. Let's come alive. Let us know our habitation. Our habitation must be in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We have to learn how to be tied up how to be harnessed with God because uh, we, uh, we can pray uh, the Holy Spirit must come down. Hey, he cannot come down into emptiness. He can only come and inhabit the temple of the Holy Ghost. 
And so if your habitation is in Christ, then the Holy Spirit has to uh, inhabit all your praises. He has to inhabit all your prayers. And so when you pray out of your habitation, God is able to hear and answer every prayer that you will uh, give. For as much, verse 29, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold. That's what the Epicureans were thinking. Or silver or stone or graven by art and man's devices. And the times of this ignorance, time of this ignorance, God winked at. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. I don't know where you are standing today. I don't know. You know, I I find some people just dishonest. Some people, when it comes to finances, they are so dishonest. They will tell you heaven and earth can shake right now and swallow them. But they know that they are lying through their teeth. And I'm saying, Lord, what has happened to your body? You know, I I don't mind a man in the street telling me his bull story. But when the church begins to lie, it annoys me to no end. And I must really consider, what does God think about this? Is he pleased with us? Repent. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, wherefore he has given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him up from the dead. Because, verse 31 again, because he has appointed a day in which he has ordained, read it again. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Righteousness meaning that God judges with justice. Some have said in the past, God is unfair. But all conclude that he is righteous. Everything that he will judge, he judges in righteousness. He knows your heart. Whether you have justified things that were false, he will know how to judge that. According to the scale, according to the level of your maturity, he will judge according to that. If you don't know honesty, you will be forgiven for telling a lie. But once you know about honesty, you will be judged on the level of your understanding honesty. If you don't know the truth, then you can be judged by your lack of understanding. I can drive at 120 on a 100 uh, zoned area. And if I say it is my first time driving here, I did not see the sign. 
I will be judged according to the honesty of not knowing the truth. But the next time, I can't plead the same ignorance. I'm asking you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, deal honestly with the things of God. Then you can say, for me, I live and move and have my being in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And therefore, dishonesty must diminish and honest dealings must increase. For he has made all of one blood for all the nations of the earth. And the love of God, the fellowship of his Holy Spirit is constantly at your side. Do not, do not play games anymore. In times past, God forgave ignorance. But once you know the truth, I couldn't care to whom you chant your words. They can only have substance when they are based on truth. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. That is meaningless if it's devoid of truth. You can chant it all you want, but if it's devoid of truth, I'm afraid it's not going to work. God winked at all this stupidity or lack of trust in him. You see, the Bereans, they put their statue of the unknown God because they wanted to take no chances. They wanted to please all the gods. But there was one that they thought somewhere, maybe there was a witness in their spirit that there's somebody, that there's some God that we have not known. But somewhere along the line, they knew that there was more to life than what they were experiencing. And so they didn't want to take a chance and they put up to the unknown God. Just in case the demon God will come and cause havoc in their situation. God is not mocked, guys. God is not mocked. But be sincere with God. There's a whole lot of things you can get away doing. But there are some things that you can't get away with once you know the truth. I'm speaking to me. I'm speaking to me as well. It's been a conviction of my heart. I'm convinced and convicted that I have not lived to the fullness of the potential that God has for me. And so I'm putting to correction most of the things that I know it's within my, it doesn't matter where I am. God is going to fix all things. I need to be ready. I need to be ready when we go into the next Passover, I know the last Passover that we had was under very difficult conditions. 
and we're going into the next one within a month. It's going to be Passover again. What we used to, we used to call Easter, it's actually Passover. Passover means that you need to be separated. You need to come aside. You need to come within your household. You need to reflect on the life that has been and then look forward into the next year again. It should actually be our beginning of the year, Passover time. Sacrifices will be done or has been done, in, been done in our case. And we have to come into a new way of life. So I'm asking you this morning, if your life has been caught up in a web of lies, you know, some people are so comfortable with telling lies. Oh, well, some call it a little fib. But for me, the lie is a lie. Think seriously. In the next month, you're going to have enough time to seriously think, are you living for God or are you living for yourself? If you're living for yourself, it's fine. You know, take care of yourself. But do not utter anything that is going to incriminate you. Rather keep quiet, rather have no comment. I'm asking you that. Rather not comment. If you try and defend the indefensible, rather just don't do it. Maybe plead ignorant to that. Let God then judge you on your silence rather than on speaking lies. Because it can't be that you say, in him I live and move and have my being, but your conduct is outside of that reality. So find your habitation. And I'm praying that you will find your habitation in God. If you, you find your habitation in God, then your conduct must reflect your habitation in God. It must work together. Amen. And so I'm, I'm going to stop here, but uh, I tell you what, this is such an open, such a beautiful uh, book. There's so many things that we can take out of this year for us to live. You know, if it stays in a book, the book is fine. It's, it won't say anything to you. But if we take those words and place them in our, our heart, let them do a forensic test in us. Are we doing things in accordance with scripture? Or we are reading scripture just to uh, appease ourselves. You know, before I, I sleep, I must read a verse or two so that God can send his angels to protect me. Oh, he'll do all those things. But uh, does it add value to your own life? Bless you guys. Keep you very safe. And uh, we are going to partake of the Lord's table this morning. It is this that which uh, unites us. That's why Jesus said, whenever you come together, do this in remembrance of me. Bring my members together through my body that was broken, through my blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. It was shed on Calvary's cross for, for many, many reasons. Some of it was to heal the earth from which you come. It's a breath that is in you that is God-given. 
the rest of it comes from the earth. It's earthy. But that which is spirit is spirit, and God is spirit. And so, let's celebrate the life of Jesus that he gave up for you and I. Receive these emblems this morning. The Lord richly bless you until we meet again. Uh, stay close, stay connected, because I do believe that uh, maybe not in this coming week, maybe the following week, if uh, things remain as they are, we will come back uh, together to the church and start our services together. And my prayer is that we are going to come back with a new attitude new way of uh, doing things. We cannot remain the same as we have been this past year. God richly bless you as you touch the hem of his garment because we need healing. Amen. Bless you. <laughs>